Welcome to the Happy Mama Village podcast with Brian and Annie, a podcast about mamas, for mamas, and by mamas. Hey, mamas. Welcome back to another great week here at The Village. This is episode 14. We are your host, Brian Zielinski. And Annie Henderson. And it's great to be back in our village where we talk about all things pertaining to happy mamas, like relationships, parenting, mama tips, our love-hate relationship with the swine, <laughs> and so much more. Annie, how was your weekend? My weekend was awesome. Great. We snuck out to the lake yesterday. We helped out with uh, setting up some vacation Bible school stuff. Awesome. We, what else did we do? We did have some time for relaxing. I read a lot with, with my daughter. Now she's probably at the age where most people are like, what, why are you still reading with her? (laughs) I am a, a teacher and counselor. So I just grew up where that was just, we would read chapter books together. And I think it's also a good way to you know, if as you get on to older chapter books, it's a great way to have conversations about situations that might pop up. <laughs> yeah, it's discussion starters. Definitely. And it's good cuddle time. Okay, so okay, so lay this out for me. So do you take turns reading pages? Do you just read all of it and she lays there and listens? She has chap- She has her own books, her own chapter books that she reads. But at night, uh, usually before bed, I'll come say goodnight and we'll lay down and cuddle and, and read. Uh, I'll read a couple of chapters just to her. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I really hadn't out of doing that with older kids. Uh, yeah, I like it. And, sh- and she still likes it. Uh, I know it's easier with one kiddo than when you have <laughs> multiple <laughs> time wise. But, you know, I will keep doing it until one day she says, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> and that, and that then I will cry. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? What about your weekend? Oh, it was super boring. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's nice. Yeah, it, you know, we didn't really, there was nothing like super fun or exciting that we did. It was just kind of an average uh, weekend. We did, we did play some board games yesterday. So that was fun. Oh, I'd love a good board game day. Yeah. And I got some good reading time. So that was, that was nice. That was nice. So boring, boring. But nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. good, good. And and I did, I did have some time to prepare for today's episode. Oh my goodness! Okay, so mamas, you are in luck because Brian—I <laughs> won't say obsessed, but close. Um, super, today's topic geek. <laughs> is on the Enneagram. So some of you might be a little familiar. I've had minimal experience, but not at the depth that Brian has. So I'm so excited to just soak it all in. And I know you'll enjoy today's episode. So yeah, so I'm kind of a big super dork about this. I discovered it a few few months ago. And, and so okay, so let me start over. This episode is kind of like Enneagram 101. <laughs> 
So That's we're not going to, yeah. So we're not going to dive too deep into any of it, but it's going to kind of give everyone a little teaser, village, a little teaser, like give you a little bit of information, kind of start you on this journey because I've, I found it really, really helpful. I think it's really interesting. So, Hey, you know what that means? It's, it's mama tip time. time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Annie, you've got our mama tip for this week. I do, I do. Um, today's tip is an app that I use for my businesses and for my home life. And I think I probably ended up using it a little more for organizing my home life. Let me read a little bit about it. It's called Trello, um, and it's a terrific tool for project management, task management, if you need to create a board or, you know, everyone calls it something different, a card, and you can link your team and have to-do lists. So it's great for that. You can add pictures and deadlines, archive them, all that good stuff. On the mommy side, I use it um, because I found that I was screenshotting some stuff or taking a picture to try to remember and then it would kind of get lost with all of my other pictures. Right, right. So this is just a great app. So I started saving stuff like my my school calendar, or my daughter's school calendar, or our cousins all in one place. Um, and then I had like another one for vacations or maybe Scarlett's symptoms if, oh, you know what? Today she complained of this. I'm going to write that down just in case it happens again. So it's just a really amazing tool that it doesn't have to be for projects, but I find it's a great way to organize stuff. And, I, and I'm and i a big fan of Google Docs, but I like how this is laid out. It's a little, uh, I believe, simpler for me to just quickly find what I need. So that's okay. my tip. Trello and it's T-R-E-L-L-O. And that's the mama tip for the week. Awesome. Okay, back to the show. So that's what we're going to do today. Kind of a basics course, if you will. Oh, so bring it on, Brian. Okay. Bring we're going to just on. dive right in. So, okay. So basically the Enneagram is a personality profile. So similar to Myers-Briggs, the DISC, which a lot of people are familiar with, the name kind of makes it sound a little hokey pokey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I like about the Enneagram is that it identifies people's personality motivations. So not just their personality traits, but what actually motivates them. So we all are motivated by specific and different things. So I read this book several months ago about the Enneagram, and I just found it fascinating. It actually helped my marriage and other, and other key relationships. Wow. Yeah. That's so one reason to just keep listening and yeah. <laughs> repeat and share. Yes. Cause you, I really got a lot out of, it, out of it. And I think that other people will too. So knowing what motivates us emotionally deep down in places that we don't talk about is huge in relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So for example, I have to be very careful about anything that may seem like criticism when I'm talking to my husband because he's a one, his, he's a number one on the Enneagram and he's affected deeply by anything uh, that seems like cr- criticism. My mom is also a one. <laughs> and so, when she, <laughs> which uh, weird, you know, <laughs> that I married my mom, but we won't go That's into that. That's another session. <laughs> <laughs> 
So when she offers me unsolicited advice slash criticism, I know it's because she thinks I have the same deep down desire to make the world perfect, just like she does. (laughs) But shocker, I don't. (laughs) I don't have that same motivation because I am not a one. So for me, it's the spirit of the rule that matters, not the actual rule. But my mom is a perfectionist. So uh, as a one, rule and order is very important. They need their life to be very uh, right. So understanding that about my mom allows me to have more grace. and more. I don't have to get my feathers ruffled because of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so this is why it was so interesting to me and why I found it so helpful. So, okay. So today I'm going to be using some excerpts and information that I found reading the book, The Road Back to You by Ian Crone and Suzanne Stable, and then also using some information I got from the Enneagram Institute. Um, So I don't want to get in trouble for plagiarism or anything like that. (laughs) Good job. All the credit's theirs. None of it's mine. I'm just regurgitating it. (laughs) So, okay. So the Enneagram, its name comes from the Greek word ennea, which means nine, because there are nine personality types. And the word gram, which means figure or drawing. So if you've never heard of the Enneagram before, that's totally cool. I hadn't either until several months ago. But picture a circle like a clock, but the numbers are in kind of different spots. The the nine is at the top where the 12 would be. And then the one is just to the right and, and so forth. So you can do a quick Google search and, and you'll see what I mean. So, okay, our personalities are like masks. As little kids, we started showing up in the world as our authentic, genuine selves, right? But we quickly learned from trial and error what traits worked for us and which traits didn't work for us. So think of it like a winter coat. As we grew up and we got hurt or rewarded for certain personality types, personality traits, uh, we tried on different coats to see which coat got us what we needed, which is love, acceptance, validation. And then once we found the right coat for us, we kept that coat on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So here's a quote from Frederick Bachner, which I think is great. It really, it's a great uh, description. He said, the original shimmering self gets buried so deep that most of us end up hardly ever living out of our true self at all. Instead, we live out of all the other selves, which we are constantly putting on and taking off like coats and hats against the world's weather. What a visual. (laughs) Yes, right? The world's weather. Like life is hard. And so as children, we learn to put on these winter coats, our personality, as protection, our armor. So in essence, the Enneagram and the Enneagram numbers are representations of those winter coats. Okay? Got it. So it's made up of nine different personality types, and we all just naturally, we each just naturally gravitate 
towards one type. And we adopt that in childhood to help us cope and to feel safe. And each number has a distinct way of seeing the world and has an underlying motivation that powerfully influences how we think, feel, and behave. So for the record, no number or personality style is better or worse than any other. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Except Uh, mine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They each have their own strengths and weaknesses. Like no one gets out of this with having both great great qualities and not so great tendencies. Yeah. So there's good and bad. There's good and bad in all of them. Um, so don't be like, oh, I wish I was a seven or I wish <laughs> I wasn't a five or whatever. It's it is what it is. They all have strengths. They all have some not so great tendencies. Today we're just going to do a quick description and discussion about each type. And then we can dive further into the numbers a little more fully, like later in the episode or in another episode, depending on how much time we have. Sound good? Sounds great. Let's go. So let's start. Okay. Type one is known as the perfectionist or the reformer. They're ethical, dedicated, reliable. They are motivated by their desire to live the right way. And they absolutely know. What is the right way? And don't worry, you don't have to ask them. They will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) They are motivated to improve the world and to avoid fault and blame. Ones are terrified of making mistakes. They have an unrelenting inner voice. You know, we all have that critical voice in our head, but theirs is actually on overdrive you know, and, and they often forget or, or don't even realize that the rest of us, they don't, that we don't have that super duper critical voice. Right. We all just assume we have that same inner dialogue and same demons and right. same motivations. And, and they have this, because their inner voice is so critical and so loud, that's why they need everything to be right. Okay. Okay. They are often pressure cookers with built up resentment towards the imperfections they see everywhere. These are the people who might let you help with a task, but then later they redo it because you didn't do it right. You know, (laughs) you loaded the dishwasher wrong or you didn't tie the bow correctly. You know, I'm looking at my mom right now. (laughs) <laughs> right. This no. is a perfect and I say time that, to think of people in your life. <laughs> and I say that with love, you know, because the reason why she wants it done right is because she's so ethical and she's so dedicated to to goodness, you know? That's a, a nice way to put it. Yeah. So their basic fear, each type has a basic fear. So for one, their basic fear is of being corrupt, evil, or defective. So think about that. If you know that a loved one, if their basic fear is is of being defective, how can that help you love them better? Right? Mm-hmm. I think it does. So Annie, you've got some examples for us of famous people who were most likely ones, type ones. All right, here we go. So type ones for the Enneagram, that would be people like Confucius, Mahatma Gandhi, Pope John Paul II, I see a theme here, (laughs) Nelson Mandela, (laughs) Margaret Thatcher, 
And we'll throw in Jerry Seinfeld and Tina Fey. (laughs) I like that list. Very cool. That's a good list. So, okay. Type two is known as the helper. They're warm, caring, giving. They are motivated by a need to be loved and needed. The caring interpersonal type, they're demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive. Mm, ouch. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> see what I mean? We don't all get out of this uh, easy. Okay, so twos, they have a supernatural gift for detecting what others need. And they love jumping on their white horse and using their talents to rescue others. Okay. Mm-hmm. So twos need to be needed. They rely on other people needing them to bo- bolster their self-worth. So presenting a cheerful, likable image and helping others is their strategy for earning love. Okay, so confession. I'm a two. Um, <laughs> that was that twos, ouch. <laughs> that was the ouch, just because that hurts a little bit. Twos believe they live in a world in which you have to be needed for you to be loved, where you have to give to get. They don't believe that you'd keep them around if they weren't providing some kind of service. Mm. So that might look like them like bending over backwards or being a shoulder to lean on or them coming over to clean your house when you're sick, which I'm not going to do that, by the way. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm not that kind of (laughs) two. But the basic fear of the two is of being unwanted and unworthy of being loved. Gotcha. So, Andy, you've got some examples for us. Yes, Brian. (laughs) Uh, We also have Eleanor Roosevelt, Nancy Reagan, Ann Landers, Elizabeth Taylor, and Mother Teresa. Also, hey, that's not a bad list to be on. (laughs) That's an amazing list. All these lists are pretty impressive. Yeah, they're they're all, everybody, like I said, like, there are great things and not so great things. So, okay, so type three is known as the performer or the achiever. They are success-driven, image-conscious, and wired for productivity. They are motivated by a need to be or to appear to be successful and to avoid failure. The pragmatic type, they're adaptive, excelling, and driven. Uh, Whether they're in a classroom, on an athletic field, a stage, the boardroom, serving the poor, threes have to be the star. Like they have to be the star performer because they grow up believing the world only values people for what they do rather than who they are. This is the type that is the least in touch with their feelings. So... (laughs) So achievements define who they are and how they judge themselves. Okay. Their basic fear is of being worthless. Oh. Oh. See? So and okay, so don't you see Just you humanizes everyone. Yeah. Knowing what somebody's basic fear is means that you can better love them, right? That's you can right. Better build them up and be there for them. So it gives you some compassion and 
Yes. Yeah. More grace. Okay, Annie, you've got some examples of threes. Yes. And these, this list makes sense even more right. now. Augustus Caesar, Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, Muhammad Ali, and Oprah Winfrey. Very successful. Totally makes sense, right? Yes. Okay, so type four, known as the romantic or the individualist. They are creative, sensitive, moody. They are motivated by a need to be understood, to experience their oversized feelings, and to avoid being ordinary. (laughs) They are sensitive. They're withdrawn, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Okay, so fours. Fours feel like something is missing from from themselves, from their makeup. Uh, The missing part is nowhere to be found and they're to blame for it. So think of it like, what is it? The the island of misfit toys. Okay. They've been exiled to the island of misfit toys (laughs) through some nameless fault of their own. Uh, The result is that they feel different, ashamed, uncertain about who they are, and they don't feel at ease in the world. Okay. Fours are their feelings. They don't have feelings. They are their feelings. They don't feel sad. They are sad. So can you kind of see the difference there? Yes. Is if, if you dive so deep, you know, into yourself, you know, your feelings become kind of inflated. Okay. It becomes more of who you are than what you're feeling and which often leads them to feeling uh, melancholy. (laughs) Fours, fours are people who are attracted to the offbeat and uh, avant-garde lifestyles. So they like what's different. Uh, They care deeply about beauty and art and can spot a phony a mile away. Interesting, right? These are. And I keep giggling because I'm looking at this list of people you have. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So their basic fear is that they have no identity. That they have no identity or personal significance. Mm. So you've got some examples for us. So interesting. Okay. The examples are Jackie Kennedy Onassis, Edgar Allan Poe, Prince, Alanis Morissette, Nicholas Cage and Johnny Depp. Right, makes sense, right? Definitely a lot of creatives in there. Yeah, right. Okay. So type 5 is known as the investigator. They're analytical, detached, private. Uh, they're motivated by a need to gain knowledge, conserve energy and avoid relying on others. They are intense, cerebral, perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. Hmm. So typically they're very introverted. Fives lust for acquiring knowledge, information, and ideas because because they don't want to appear foolish or uninformed or be humiliated for not having the correct answer for not having the information. So they look to knowledge to provide them with what most people find through relationships, such as love, comfort, and support. So by gathering this information, they believe they can insulate themselves from emotional harm. Okay. So like a fortress, a fortress of information is going to protect them 
from emotional harm. Uh, they have they have a fear of self disclosure. Mm. So if you really find out who they are, that's a problem. So <laughs> a problem for them. So their basic fear is of being useless, helpless, or incapable. So you've got some examples for us of famous people who are fives. All right, here are the fives. Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking, Vincent Van Gogh, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, and Jane Goodall. I can see all those going together. Right, right. Okay, so Amy, this is kind of, we're a little more than halfway through. What are, are you, like, as I'm reading these descriptions, are you like picking up on like, oh, I think somebody is, I think my friend is a this or my mom is a that? Um, some of them, I'm, you know, I'm right now I'm still in the mode of, oh, is that me at all? No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, I like trying to, I know we shouldn't just pin, pin a type on somebody, but, um, yeah, I'm definitely thinking of family members along the way. Right. Right. Okay. So type six is known as the loyalist. They are committed, practical, and witty. These are like worst case scenario thinkers. Okay. They are motivated <laughs> by fear and a need for security. Uh, they're, sec- they're security oriented, engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. So six, the sixes, their deadly sin is fear. Uh, and they suffer from a deep seated need, need to feel secure. I think I know uh, several of these. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they often suffer from paralysis by analysis. So they turn to family and friends and experts for, for advice because, because they don't trust their own thinking. But they are, okay, so sixes, they are the most loyal of all the types, which makes sense because the name, <laughs> they're known as the loyalists. <laughs> their basic fear is of being without support or guidance. Mm. So like they don't feel like they're going to make it on their own. Like if they don't have guidance, then they're going to fail. And support. Interesting. Yes. So, okay, Annie, uh, you've got our famous examples. All right. Type six, Mark Twain, Sigmund Freud, J. Edgar Hoover, Richard Nixon, and Diana, Princess of Wales. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Speaking of Princess Diana, knowing that, okay, if she was indeed a six, which these are guesses by other people who know this (laughs) a lot better than me, but if she was, if she was indeed a six and her basic fear is to be without support or guidance, think about her being basically so all alone Mm -hmm. in the world, you know, being cut off from the Royal family, being so isolated because of the media scrutiny Think mm-hmm. about how that would affect her as a six, right? Gosh, yes. Yes. And, and that does not just make you want to like hover. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's so sad. Again, just this is more reasons why I love the Enneagram and understanding people and what, what their motivate, what their motivations are. Yeah. Yeah. Cause all these people, you know, are usually, you know, people we look up to and we read about all their accomplishments and we don't see this other human side of some of these people. So I'm right. loving it. Keep it. Yes. Coming. 
Okay, type seven, the enthusiast. They are fun, spontaneous, adventurous. They are motivated by a need to be happy and to plan stimulating experiences and avoid pain. That's the key. They want to avoid pain. They are busy, fun-loving types, spontaneous, versatile, distractible, and scattered. So in childhood, sevens heard the, the wounding message, you're on your own. So interesting. Uh, yes, you're on your own. No one's here to support you or take care of you. So in response, the seventh strategy was to create a pain-free, neverland type situation in their mind uh, where they could hide out and think happy thoughts until, <laughs> the, pain, until the pain went away. Okay. So unfortunately, sevens have have a lot of trouble remaining in the present moment to they can't really enjoy their present and the adventures that they're on because they're already thinking and planning their next one. Okay, they spend a lot of time in the future. Does that make sense? They're always escaping, yeah, (laughs) anticipation, escaping to avoid pain. So their basic fear is of being deprived or being in pain. Yeah. So which makes sense. So they they create a life where they're always doing something fun, exciting, stimulating as a hideout, as a diversion from feeling their feelings. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. Okay. Sounds Slightly familiar. <laughs> okay, so truth be told, Annie, you took the test. You took an, an online test. I did. I'm a, a high high seven. <laughs> high seven. Yes. High. So you scored pretty high on as, as a type seven. I did. I did. I, I'm feeling a little bare and <laughs> <laughs> right, but, but that's. I mean, that's good to know. And you know, some of that stuff I wouldn't. I guess automatically think, but I'm gonna have to really ponder this and think about it. It's it's really exciting yeah. and, and fascinating to hear. Well, and you're you're in good company. Oh, with uh, these famous examples. Yes, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Amelia Earhart, Robin Williams, Jim Carrey, and Mike Myers. <laughs> Okay, so now, okay, so thinking about a seven and how they're always kind of living in this pain-free world, this Neverland world, doesn't it make sense? Doesn't Robin Williams make a little more sense to you? Robin Williams breaks my heart. (laughs) I know, right? Yes, Yes. but definitely describes him. Yeah. I would assume. Okay, I know, I know. That That one was a hard one. Okay, so type eight is known as the challenger. They are demanding, intense, confrontational. They are motivated by a need to be strong and to avoid feeling weak or vulnerable. Uh, They are powerful, dominating, self-confident, decisive, willful. They They are steamrollers more so than they are diplomats. Interesting. Okay, so the the quote by George Patton really sums up the quintessential eight. 
when he said, lead me, follow me, or get out of my way. (laughs) That's an eight. They can't be, it's not that they can't be followers, they can, but you better be a pretty good leader (laughs) if they're going to follow you, Um, or they're just going to take over and do it themselves. When eights walk into a room, you sense their presence before you actually see them. Mm. They're, they have larger than life energy that doesn't just fill a space. It owns it. You know, eights assume that others are untrustworthy and, and, and they were, they were taught in childhood that they can only rely on themselves. So, you know, maybe they were bullied, um, for a variety of different reasons, you could kind of develop these traits, but they believe that they they have to trust themselves. They can only rely on themselves. Luckily, luckily for us, eights are, they care deeply about justice, fairness, and will use their power of aggression for the good of the underdog. Hmm. So they do have power of aggression. (laughs) Um, So for example, my, I'm positive. My grandfather was an eight. My aunt is an eight and I love her. She's one of my favorite people. She was my basketball coach growing up. Uh, so they are very get stuff done type people, you know? So their basic fear is of being harmed or controlled by others. Hmm. Okay. Annie, you've got some famous examples for us. Yes. Sorry. First I had a, cause I was trying to think, I'm like, who do I know that's like this besides people in, on the news? <laughs> um, but I was thinking I um, had a landlord once that was, is totally this. So okay. that's really fascinating. I'll have to look yeah. more into that one as well. So <laughs> the examples for type eight, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, Lyndon B. Johnson, Donald Trump. Pablo Picasso, and Ernest Hemingway. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Donald Trump. (laughs) That's a hot button issue for people. That's, I think most people could see that he would probably be an eight, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. I think he could see he's an eight. (laughs) (laughs) Without the weakness, of course. Right, right. So type nine is our last number. It's the last one on the Enneagram. They are known as the peacemaker. They are pleasant, laid back, accommodating. They are motivated by a need to keep the peace. And they merge with others to avoid conflict. They are easygoing, self-effacing, receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent. Mm. Okay, so nines will do almost anything, and I do mean anything, to avoid conflict. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and in general, this is sad. So, and in general, they feel unimportant. Oh, wow. Nines, nines are disconnected from, from their passion and they're disconnected from their feelings. Because they fear that expressing their preferences, expressing their feelings, and asserting their agenda will will put relationships at risk hmm. and will upset the calm surface of their inner peace. <laughs> so that's why they want to avoid expressing their opinions. So nines so value maintaining this 
the status quo that they set aside their own viewpoints and opinions and they merge with others. Okay, so we were talking about this earlier and I gave you this example. So if you ask a nine where they want to eat for dinner, they they want they want what you want. But they'll <laughs> wait for you to say it first and then miraculously that's the exact food that actually sounds good to them too. So it's not just that they're subverting their own will. It's that their will becomes your will or really your will becomes theirs, you know, because mm-hmm. they want to avoid conflict because they feel like if there were to be conflict, then you wouldn't love them anymore. Okay. And it would, and it's, it would disrupt their peace. Interesting. Um, yes. So they merge. So they merge their opinions with others making it almost impossible for them to live their best lives, right? Because if you're never expressing what your authentic feelings are, what your authentic views and opinions are, how can you live your best life, right? Gotcha. Goodness. Their basic basic fear is of loss and separation. That, That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so you've got some famous examples for us. Yeah, listen to these first three presidents. Abraham Lincoln, Ronald Reagan, and George W. Bush, along with Walt Disney. Wow. Okay, Okay. so that's just a general description of each number, kind of to to get us started. And isn't it all wonderfully messy? (laughs) (laughs) you know so again what I love about the Enneagram is that it really helps me to understand you know what what's the driving force behind actions and feelings you know the actions of others can can trigger thoughts in us that can that can screw with our feelings if we aren't careful right yes definitely but but really trying to understand what what basic fear is motivating the behaviors and others is so helpful for me. You know, the, that knowledge helps me to have so much more grace for those around me and for those that I love the most. And, and I've, got a, I've got an example. My sister, my older sister is a nine. So she wants to avoid conflict. I've only recently obviously discovered that she was a nine. Mm-hmm. So for years... I would text her, you know, uh, simple things. How's your day? How's it going? Want to meet for lunch? Want to meet for dinner? Hey, let's get together. And she, lots of times she wouldn't respond. And we kind of joke about it. Uh, Everybody kind of knew that she was not great at responding to texts, you know? (laughs) And so on one level, I could kind of dismiss it. But on another level, it kind of hurt my feelings, Right. right? And when I discovered that she was a nine, I realized, okay, those times that she wasn't responding to me was times that she was under stress and when she was emotionally unhealthy. So what she does when she's emotionally unhealthy or stressed is she does, she's an ostrich. She sticks her head in the sand. (laughs) You know, I can't see, I can't hear, you know, I'm in my own world, you know. And she blocks everything out. She blocks everything and everyone out. And so now that I know that about her, 
when I sent her maybe four texts in a row over two weeks time, and I never get a response from her, I know it's not that she doesn't love me. I know she loves me. It helps me to know, okay, she's in a bad place. She's overly stressed. She's struggling. What can I do? What can I do for her? How can I be understanding? Me sending her a text saying, hey, what's the deal, yo? You know, (laughs) you know, me getting upset is a not going to help her any. It's just going to increase her stress, you know, but it's also not going to give me what I need. Right. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's just one. That's just one example of you're able to identify people's behaviors based on their motivations, then you can, it it just, it increases your relationships to a, to a different level. You know what I mean? Important tool, whether it's with your closest family, friends, or even at work with bosses or (laughs) certain coworkers and knowing what their fears are and how they're shifting and reacting. Right, right, right. So, so the whole theory and the Enneagram is based on people act when they're in healthy states of mind and when they're under stress. So, for example, a two, a type two, which is me, uh, is normally people pleasing and likable. Aren't I super likable? You are super <laughs> likable. <laughs> okay, but under stress or when I am in a particularly unhealthy frame of mind, twos act similar to eights. Okay, so when we're under stress, we exhibit traits of an eight in that we can become bullies, be demanding and controlling. Ouch, again. (laughs) So, So by nature, okay, so by nature, when I am in my average frame of mind, when I am, you know, feeling emotionally good about myself, I am extremely diplomatic. I hate unresolved conflict. Recognizing when I'm at my stress limits and how I exhibit certain traits that are unflattering, (laughs) certain behaviors, when I'm at my limit can help me reel myself in. Okay, so when I see myself becoming demanding or controlling, I can, it's a trigger for me to recognize, hey, you're you're in an unhealthy frame of mind. Right? Yes. Also, now that my husband knows that I'm a two, <laughs> that I go and that I go to an eight when I'm stressed, he can recognize those behaviors in me and he can now hopefully be more understanding when I'm exhibiting those unflattering traits, right? That's the dream. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so when those traits show up, it can also be a trigger for him to realize, hey, she's she's not being a bully because she's a bad person. She is she must be in, in an emotionally unhealthy place. So what can I do for her? It takes the sting out of it, right? I mean, it takes the pain out of it for him because he can recognize, okay, my wife needs something from me, right? He can Yeah, more, more of a clue. Yeah, he can have more grace with me knowing that I'm experiencing high levels of stress. And I can do the same for him when I see that he is showing behaviors of a four, which is where ones go when they're under stress, right? Fours, yeah. Okay, so 
each number and and this is going way deeper we did we could i could spend probably a month <laughs> of podcast going diving really deep into this stuff but basically each number has correlating numbers on the enneagram where you go in stress and where you go in true health you know like your the best parts of you so Anyways, it's all very fascinating to me, and 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 really, the ultimate goal is to to know to know ourselves better, to know myself better, and to love those around me more, and to be more gracious. So. I loved it. Thank you so much, Brian. This has been amazing. I think people will love it. I would love to talk more about it. So, if anyone's interested, you can go online and find. Enneagram test, you know, to find out what number you are. I use the one at the Enneagram Institute.com. There is a fee. I think it was like $15. If you buy the book, The Road Back to You, it comes with a coupon code. It comes with a code and it's free. Um, but I know, Annie, I think you took one that was completely free. Right? I did. I think I just Googled and checked out what was around <laughs> that had some right. decent reviews. Yeah. Okay. So y'all can go check that out. All right. So this was fun. This was fun for me, at least. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and letting me geek out over my love of the Enneagram. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. For more information about life coaching or to interact with us directly, you can check us out on Facebook at the Happy Mama Village or on our individual websites at rebuildingwithbrian.com and AnnieMHenderson.com. The show notes will have our email addresses plus additional information on the books that I mentioned earlier. So be sure to check that out. Also, please leave us some love on iTunes and Facebook and kindly share this podcast with mamas so we can grow our village. Be sure to join us here next week at The Village. Can't wait. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Happy Mama Village. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a comment, like, or share, and be sure to join Annie and Brian for next week's episode.